0: interesting to consider the fact first eleven chapters which now we have completed covered a period of roughly 2,000 years while the 39 last chapters in this second division only cover about 350 years so where does God put the emphasis does he put it on creation which he only spent one chapter telling us about and the and the fall and the flood and the Tower of Babel or does he put his emphasis on people because in chapters 12 to 50 we look at the lives of four men Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph well of course you know the answer God's emphasis is on people it's interesting to realize that Abraham lived approximately halfway between the time of Adam and Jesus Christ he was really right there smack dab in the middle and that's interesting because Adam's sin of course was the initial cause for the need of a redeemer and Christ is that redeemer and Abraham in the middle is known as the father of all the redeemed so it's very interesting. Now the title for our lesson this morning on Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 to 9 is Believing Journey From Haran to Canaan. Abraham's spiritual journey began where ours begins. In spite of his affluence in a wealthy and very close-knit family, in spite of his happy marriage to a very beautiful woman, and in spite of the advancement of his secular society, Abraham was a lost sinner on his way to an eternal hell. The record of his walk of faith began, as it does with each of us, with God taking the initiative. God spoke, and it was the revelation from him, from God, which pierced Abraham's soul and began to break the hold which the world, his own flesh, and, of course, the devil had over him. It was the revelation then of God's word which generated a response from Abraham and began to lead him on the path of obedience and eternal salvation and that's the way it is for all of us faith cometh by hearing and hearing by what the word of god it was fitting uh therefore that god began his summons to abraham the father of uh he would be the father of the jewish people and of course the nation of israel it was fitting that his call began with a call to separation because he calls us out of the world. That's what the word "ecclesia" church, means. Called out ones. So he called him out to leave his country of the wicked and idolatrous Ur in southern Mesopotamia and to leave and go to a land that God would show him. Now, in our lesson last week, we looked at a delay, or not last week, two weeks ago, we looked at Abraham's delay in his obedience and right now I just want to sort of quickly review that from it was in verses uh, 31 and 32 of chapter 11 that we looked at the delay in obedience in our look so far at his initial response to God's revelation we learned we discovered that although Abraham did indeed take a first step of faith forward by leaving Ur Yet it was only in partial obedience, wasn't it, to God's summons? Because he not only took along his father Terah and his nephew Lot, but he also delayed in Haran. And partial obedience resulted, therefore, in a delay in Abraham's further spiritual growth. Abraham's compromise, we find as we look around us, is very typical of carnal believers full obedience you know people who are are just dedicating their lives to trying to be as fully obedient to god as they possibly can be that's looked upon by most people even within the church as being a little bit extreme you know they've just carried this thing a little bit too far it's also looked on as being impractical impractical according to most people yet as abraham would learn it is not ever, ever impractical to be fully obedient to God. How many of you would agree with that? It isn't. You, you can never be fanatical enough as far as your commitment to the Lord Jesus. Down to the most minute detail. In fact, it's unwise not to do so. But at least, you know, he was partially obedient, but at least he did take that initial step of faith uh, forward. At least Abraham had found, due to God's grace in taking the initiative, at least Abraham had found that path of faith, and God, in his patience and grace, would be faithful to direct his steps. Although Abraham, as we look at his life, we'll find out, although he would stumble And even sometimes fall flat on his face, as we all also do in our spiritual walk with the Lord. Yet God would be faithful each and every time to pick him up and place his feet back on that right path. In this first case of uh, putting Abraham back on track, you know, he he left Ur, but he delayed in Haran. In the first case now of God putting him back on track, God had to remove something from Abraham's life. And what was that something? His father. He had to remove his father. So we learn not only that partial obedience results in a delay in further spiritual growth, but we also learn that delay in obedience also can sometimes bring pain and sorrow. Sadly, it is often the case that God has to take something or someone from the Christian in order to get him or her back to himself and their service and commitment to him. We know that Abraham was very attached to his father. In fact, he was too attached. His stay in Haran shows that he was more attached, really, to his earthly father than he was to his heavenly father. You know, whatever we carry with us from the old life, you know before Christ the old life whatever we carry with us from the old life into the new life will most probably bring problems we now it's not that we isolate ourselves from our family and our friends but they are no longer to be the objects of our first love and our first obligation no man it tells us in Matthew 6:24 no man can serve two masters faith and a double mind will not do in one's service to god and that's exactly what abraham had there in Haran. he had a double mind he had really probably a first love toward his earthly father more than toward his heavenly father and god had to remove that blockage to his further spiritual growth and that was painful Yet finally, after Abraham wasted precious years in Haran, we don't know how many years he was there, possibly five. I read in some commentaries, and I don't really know where they got that figure, but he did waste years there. Finally, God, in his infinite patience and grace, did intervene. God, again, took the initiative, and he intervened in the life of Abraham by not only taking his father from him, or at least opening his eyes to see that his father was spiritually dead. We talked about that last time. But he intervened by giving him also a repeated summons, which is found now in our opening verse of chapter 12. So this is where we're going to pick up our look at the life of Abraham as we consider Genesis 12, verses 1 to 9. And as we do this, and I've already reviewed just very briefly Genesis 11 verses 31 to 32 which was the delay in obedience and next now we're going to consider his departure in obedience verses 1 to 5 then the difficulties which he encountered because of his obedience in verse 6 then the dividends which were a result of his obedience in the first part of chapter uh, verse 7 and then finally we will discuss his devotion to God which was another result of abraham's obedience and that will be in the last part of verse seven verse eight and then verse nine so we'll begin by looking at a depart his departure in obedience and under this section you can see i've got three subdivisions we'll look at a repeated call a royal covenant and a renewed commitment let's begin by looking at verse one then a repeated call It says, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. While yet in Haran, Abraham received a second summons from God. Again, as I said, God is the one who took the initiative. If he had not taken the initiative, as far as we know, Abraham, just like his father, might have remained in Haran until he died. And that second command is essentially get thee out. That was the Lord's command. Now, it wasn't just to get out and stay out of everything. It was to get out in order to do what? To go in. When God calls us out of this world, it's not just to go out of the world and not have anything to do with him or his service. If he were called out to go in to his service, you know, a lot of people get all hung up about when they become a Christian. Well, I can't go here, and I can't go there, and I can't do this, and I can't do that. So they actually do nothing. But we're called out to go in. We're to be servants. You know, we're to be his. Uh, we're to be busy doing his work. So he was called out in order to go in to his service. Abraham's pilgrimage began again, as I said, with where ours begins. It began with a vision of another country, a better country. God said, get thee out because I'm going to show you a land. So he had a vision of another land. He was going to be a pilgrim to another land. In historical reality, we know that this new land was Canaan, called the Promised Land. However, as we learn in Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham's vision went beyond that earthly country. His vision went further. He went out looking for a city whose builder and maker is God, Hebrews 11.10. Abraham's eyes were not only focused on the land, earthly land God was going to show him, but his eyes were focused upward on a heavenly city. First, of course, he would find his place in the earthly country which God would lead him to. But ultimately, his faith and his hope was in heaven itself. And isn't that where ours is, too? Our eyes should always be focused upward. Set your affections on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Well, following this repeated command, we find that God then gave Abraham, in verses 2 and 3, seven promises. Those promises form what theologians call the Abrahamic Covenant, or at least the beginning of the Abrahamic Covenant. However, for our our, uh, outline purpose, we're going to call it a royal covenant. And the reason I do that is to stay with the R's, (laughs) but also because it is a royal covenant because it has to do with the royal one, the promised uh, seed of the woman, the coming Savior who would bring salvation to all the nations. So let's look now at verses 2 and 3, a royal covenant. And I will make of thee—this is God still speaking to Abraham— I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed." Dr. Arthur Pink made an astute comment. He said this, quote, the Lord's commands are rarely accompanied with reasons, but they are always accompanied with promises, either expressed or understood. End of quote. Now why do you think that is? When the Lord gives a command, he doesn't follow up that command with a reason. Rather, he gives a promise. Well, That makes a lot of sense because men like to argue with reasons, don't they? But with a promise, I mean, that's a different matter. A promise is a promise, and it really cannot be argued. So this is very wise of God to follow his command to Abraham to get out of his country, leave his father's house, leave his kindred, and uh, come into a land that he would show him. And now he doesn't tell him the reason at all. He just gives him seven beautiful promises. Well, for his obedience and faith, God, first of all, promised Abraham that he would make of him a great nation. Verse 2, this would more than compensate, you see, for the loss of his home country, Ur. He was going to be made into a great nation. Now, Martin Luther, the great reformer, was convinced that this particular promise to Abraham was one of the most outstanding passages in all the word of God other than the just shall live by faith. But he said this was one of the most fantastic. Luther stated that human reason would declare that the Lord's promise here was impossible, untrue, and unbelievable. For one thing, why would God not leave Abraham in his own land if he wanted to create a great nation from him? At least there, you know, back in Ur, there was Abraham had some influence. Obviously, his father had been a wealthy man. He had influence, and he was known. Why take him to a strange land where he knew absolutely no one, had no home, no friends, no fields, and no influence? Furthermore, he was 75 years old. And if you take into consideration the fact that he only lived to be 175, relatively young, right, he was about middle age. You know, if you're going to make a great nation of somebody, why pick a man who's already half spent? Why not pick a young man? And furthermore, his wife was barren. I mean, that's a pretty big problem right there. If you're going to make a great nation of a man, why pick an old man who's got a barren wife? How could all these facts line up with a promise to be made a great nation? So we, I think when we think of this and see this in this light, we realize more clearly the faith of Abraham in stepping out to leave behind all that was familiar to him in order to obey God. From the human perspective, his journey would appear quite foolish. You know, can't you just hear, well, like I've even heard from people who don't understand at all because they're not even Christians, but you know, with our son going to Burma. Why they've said, Why would he want to do that? You know, from the in their mindset that's just totally foolish, stupid. But Abraham's faith was in the reality of God. Therefore, although he might not have understood how these things could be, yet he could trust the one who spoke them. And that's the ultimate, isn't it? That we can, even if we don't understand what God tells us to do, what His Word might say, we know that we can trust the One who, who gives us these various commands that we have in the Scripture. Well, the second promise of God made to Abraham was that He would bless him, and the blessings of God would more than compensate for any loss that Abraham would experience by leaving Haran, by leaving his family, his extended family, and friends, and his home, his father's home there, which I assume his father established a second home in Heron. Those who obey God will always receive his blessing. Right? Those who obey God will always receive his blessing. Blessings always follow obedience. God did indeed bless Abraham because he prospered in his business he prospered in his family and he prospered in his faith his obedience in leaving ur and then haran to follow the lord resulted in god's blessings for the whole rest of his life even when he faltered in his faith and when he went down as we'll see in our lesson next week when he went down to egypt in total backsliding disobedience yet god still blessed him Even when he lied on two different occasions about his wife and their relationship that she wasn't his wife, uh, still God blessed him. Why was that? Because God had made a promise. I will bless thee. And so Abraham was blessed all of his life. Abraham was also promised to have his name made great. In compensation for leaving his house, God would make him the head of a new house which is called in the scripture the house of israel he would be known and respected throughout the whole world he's known and respected by three major religions right christianity J- the jews the jewish religion and um the the muslims also look to him as their uh father as romans 4:11 states abraham is the father of all them that believe now that doesn't include the muslims but he muslims did i say that right sounded funny anyway he's the father of all them that truly believe his name stands for faith in god and we do find that many many uh jewish people many christians and many muslims have even named their children their male children for him and that's a, stands in a striking contrast to the um the strivings of such men as Lamech. remember the bad Lamech. Who boasted so much and uh, nimrod the mighty hunter nimrod and the citizens of babel what were they trying to do they were trying in their own strength and works to make their names great they were trying to make their name something as we have so many people in the world trying to do they're trying to make a name for themselves a name that will last and yet abraham was not trying to make his name great at all god was the one who said he would make his name great how many people have named their children abraham or abe <laughs> and yet how many do you go do you hear a lot of lamex about a lot of lamex or nimrods or the names of the citizens at babel we have no idea what their names even were but worse yet their names aren't even probably found in the lamb's book of life and yet we know that abraham's name was So there's a contrast there. Well, the fourth promise is found at the end of verse 2, and that is that Abraham was to be a blessing. God's plan was to bless Abraham and his descendants, the Jews, Israel, so that they would then be the channel of blessings to others. When God's blessings are enjoyed, it is always with the purpose that those blessings will be communicated to others. You know, when he blesses us, we're not to just keep those blessings to ourselves. It is so that we will be a channel through which those blessings can flow to others. We know that it was to be, of course, through Abraham's greatest descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, that blessings would indeed come to those of every nation and every tribe and every language and every kindred who would call upon his name for salvation. The fifth and sixth promises given to Abraham had to do with protection. And these we find at the first part of verse 3 where he says that he would bless those who blessed him. And this goes not only to Abraham but also to the Jews, the nation of Israel. And that he would curse them that cursed him or Israel. And uh, in your homework, I have you look up a few cases where we find how true this was. For example, when Jericho fell and all the people in Jericho were destroyed except for one woman in her household because she blessed Israel and so God blessed her. Her name was Rahab. And there's some other examples. We find this is always true. And, of course, just a study of history will verify how seriously God has taken this particular promise. And that's why we need to pray constantly that the united states of america will always always take the side of israel if we want to receive the blessings of god we need to be linked up and supporting that little nation over there very important for us well god completed his promises to abraham by telling him in thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed now of course we know that would be through who through jesus christ Both the greatness of Abraham and the greatness of Israel was not because they became a, you know, a numerous people because, of course, there have been many nations which have had a greater population than Israel. It is also not that they produced great philosophers uh, or great governmental systems to lead people as did the Greeks or the Romans, for example, rather... The greatness of the descendants of Abraham was a spiritual greatness. The greatness came from God himself. It didn't come from them. It came from God. Above all else, they were great because it would be through Abraham and through the nation of Israel that, of course, God would send his son, the Lord Jesus, and he would be the greatest blessing of all time and eternity to those who would willingly put their faith and trust in him. So I didn't spend a whole lot of time on these seven blessings because we have so much more to cover, but you really could have a deep study looking at them, and uh, I encourage you to do that through other commentaries to study them in more depth. But through these seven promised blessings, Abraham understood, he did grasp this, he understood that it was to be through him and Sarah that the promised seed of the woman would come actually it tells us over in galatians 3 8 which is an interesting verse if you read galatians 3 8 we find out that the gospel it tells us the gospel was preached to abram and that's what it was here he understood that the promised seed of the woman the savior the one who would crush satan's head and make salvation possible for man he understood that that was included in the fact that God was saying he would make all, have all the families of the earth blessed through him. So he understood the gospel message there. In faith, therefore, he believed, and he stepped forth out of Haran to make his way to the land that God would show him. Now remember, when these promises were made, Abraham had no children, he didn't have any sons at all, and he had no land. In fact, when he died, he still had no land at all that was his own possession other than a small piece of land which he had purchased in order to bury Sarah. And that is where he also was buried. So Abraham obeyed God not because he could figure out all the reasons for God's commands about leaving, but he obeyed because he believed God's promises. And, of course, this means that he had he had placed his real faith in the one who stood behind those promises and that is God himself okay that was a repeated call and a royal covenant now we will look at a renewed commitment for this let's look at verse 4 so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him and Lot went with him and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran So no longer held back now by his commitment to his father, Abraham was now finally willing to commit himself fully to God. So he departed from Haran when he was 75 years old, and we know that Sarah was 10 years his junior, so she was 65 years old. And we find out that Lot also decided to accompany them. Now we find out later on in Scripture that Lot became a believer in the god of abraham so he rather than staying in haran haran he wanted to go along with his uh, uncle abraham so he did from verse 5 we learn that abraham had become rather prosperous not only in substance but also i didn't read verse 5 did i i'm sorry that's why i didn't read it It's not on my transparency, but I do need to read it. Let's look at verse 5 also. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. Now, we learn that not only had he become prosperous in substance, but also in souls— It says that they took with them souls that they had gotten there in Haran. The fact that they took all of their substance, you notice that word all? They took all their substance. That suggests that Abraham had a very high level of commitment. Actually, the highest level at this point because he took everything. He wasn't just going to test this thing out and leave something behind. You know, so he'd maybe have an excuse to come back to Haran. He took everything. It was full commitment. He was going in order to stay. And the souls apparently speak of people who had become attached to Abraham and Sarah, perhaps as employees and dependents while they were there in Haran. It may even mean, although I can't say for sure, but it may mean that some of these people had come to trust in the God about whom we can be sure Abraham was speaking or preaching. Abraham is called in the scripture a prophet. So perhaps God took what was meant for evil, you know, by the fact that he disobediently delayed in Haran, and God turned it for good because when they left Haran, they had these additional souls to carry with them. So I like to think of it as the fact that they were people who had gotten saved, who worked for them. At the end of verse 5, we read of no more delays at all along the way to Canaan. With very simple finality, we are simply told that they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. So we have no information about their trip from Haran to Canaan. He just obeyed. He just went and and got there. No, No stops. I'm sure he stopped, but there's no record of any, you know, just for overnight at Motel 6 or something, and then on his way he went. Even though the journey from Haran to Canaan would have been approximately about 400 miles to the southwest, uh, I'm gonna, I didn't put it on there, but here's the land of Canaan down here. When they left Haran and went to the northern border of Canaan, it would have been approximately 400 miles, yet nothing at all is said about the trip. And as I quoted earlier from uh, Hebrews 11:8, it does tell us that by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? I got to thinking, how did he know where he was going then? Did God lead him as a, a pillar of fire? Or, you know, I don't know. It says in Hebrews he didn't know where he was going. But day by day, the, the Lord just directed his steps, as he does with us. We don't know what tomorrow holds, do we? But we know the one who holds tomorrow, so we just, each day, we step forward, and, and God directed his path. What followed in verses 6 to 9 was a process, process whereby Abraham actually traveled the entire length of Canaan, or Israel. He started in the north, he went to the middle. And then in verse 9, we find him down in the south. So he traveled the whole length of Canaan. However, before we get into a discussion about his travels in Canaan, we want to discuss another biblical principle that we learn from Abraham's walk of faith. And that principle is that the walk of faith always will involve difficulties. You can guarantee it. When you get on that path of faith, you're going to encounter some difficulties. So let's look at some difficulties in verse 6. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sikkim, unto the plain of Morah. And the Canaanite was then in the land. One of the greatest difficulties that is faced by those who begin the journey of faith with God has to do with not only the enemy, which, you know, I... Highlighted when I read, we'll look at that next, that the Canaanite was in the land. But another uh, difficulty has to do with determination and stamina. You know, there are plenty of people who make commitments to the Lord and begin even with great determination. But what happens along the way? We see it, don't we? We see it every year in Bible study. We start out the first day with a great, you know, filling up both of these sections here. And then by the middle of the year, it's dwindled down. By the end of the year, it's dwindled down even further. What happens is so many on their walk of faith with the Lord quit along the way. I mean, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, don't you see this over and over? And I guess it's one of the most discouraging parts of of being a Christian and being in ministry is seeing people quit they do not fully count the cost of discipleship actually we could say that commitment the word commitment has almost become an archaic term in our day and age people don't want to make commitments even in their marriage vows They don't want to make commitments to their families. They don't want to make commitments to their jobs, even. If I don't like this job, I'll quit and go somewhere else. They don't want to make commitments to their churches or to one another, even though it's ironic because they can manage to show great fanatical commitment to their sports team or to golf or to whatever it might be tennis or race car driving or their political party or to whatever their own selfish interest might be their own selfish pursuit but notice some of the words that are used about abraham in our passage look at verse four we see that he departed in verse five he went forth in verse six he passed through in verse eight he removed and in verse nine, he journeyed going on still. Underline those words. Those talk about the walk of faith, the Christian faith. Those you can do that in your homework, you'll see. But Abraham did not just enter into Canaan in the northern most at the northernmost border and then stop. He didn't just cross over the line and then settle right there, did he? He passed throughout the entire land to see it. In its entirety, he had stamina, which is what a lot of Christians need a good dose of, stamina, fortitude. Far too many will go only as far as needed and not one step extra. Far too few show any regard for excellence in their service for Christ. They are content with doing just the bare minimum and quickly lose interest in serving Christ on the long haul yet then they wonder why their uh, Christian life seems so unfulfilled and so shallow well another difficulty faced by the Christian in his walk with the Lord is of course the enemy and at the end of verse 6 we are told that the Canaanite was in the land these descendants of Ham through his cursed son Canaan were not a righteous people by any means. In fact, they were corrupt beyond our comprehension. As Abraham got to the land and looked over the land and saw that most of the choice locations were possessed by these very wicked people and their idolatry, we can be sure that he wondered why in the world God sent him there. How was this land any better than idolatrous Ur of the Chaldees? Yet, we don't find abraham attempting to make any kind of a a marital alliance with the canaanites as king solomon would later do you know he didn't marry off or, or marry a woman from canaan so that he would have better relationships with them. he didn't take on a second wife who was a canaanite but that's what king solomon did nor do we find that abraham questioned god at all he did not put his faith here at least in his own reasoning He was walking by faith and not by sight. In faith, Abraham was waiting on God to speak to him. He didn't stop to buy any land to settle uh, because he was leaving, completely leaving, the direction for his path to God. So the Canaanites represent the presence of the enemy in the Christian's life. They were hostile and they were dangerous and it was not going to be an easy matter for Abraham to live a godly life in a land where such immoral people lived. It would require of him a great deal of faith, a great deal of courage and determination, patience, great deal of work, a great deal of wisdom for Abraham to live a victorious life in Canaan. Yet... The Lord has never promised the Christian that our lives here on this earth is going to be a bed of roses, has he? Never says that in the scripture. It says, yea, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And the enemy is out there, and he's always shooting his fiery darts at us. The cowards, the careless, the lazy, the double-minded, and the carnal will not last very long on the path of obedience you know moving his flocks and his family and his uh, those all those souls his uh, employees such a long distance from haran all the way uh, down to canaan and then all the way through the land of canaan that was not an easy task at all for abraham especially you know when the whole land of canaan was filled with enemies the Christian life is not for weaklings. You know, it's not it's uh, it's actually a lot easier to live a godless life than it is to live a godly life. The Christian life is not for the you know, the Casper milk toast wimps by any means. It's not like most people think, you know, that we're just it's just for those who are trying to check out or, you know, uh, cop out on the reality of life. It's really so much more difficult to live a godly Christian life than it is to live an ungodly life. That's easy. That's a piece of cake. You just go with the flow, and you could just go with your own desires and urges, and you do whatever you want to do. It, it's, against every, it's against all of human nature to live a godly life. But we see that God allows early disappointments to occur on the threshold of a believer's new life so that that believer might learn how necessary it is for him, as he faces all these difficulties, to lean upon his shoulder, on God's shoulder for strength and depend upon him for strength guidance and direction and instruction and that's exactly what we find abraham does in verse six his first step in the promised land was at Sikkim, or shechem it's also called which in hebrew means who knows shoulder i just said you know we need to lean on god's shoulder for our strength so his first stop here is in shoulder shechem or Sikkim. And there he camped at a place which was apparently a landmark. It's called the Plain of Mora, but all scholars agree that the word terebinth in Hebrew, which has been translated as plain, is, uh, actually speaks of an oak tree. And since this oak tree was obviously known enough to be marked out as a landmark, we know that it must have been a mighty oak tree. And when you think of an oak tree, you think mighty anyway but uh, this was either a very mighty oak tree or perhaps even a grove of oak trees. And that speaks of strength. The name mora means instruction. So what have we got here? We've got shoulder, mighty oak, oak tree, which speaks of strength, and we've got instruction in the name mora. So it's significant that Abraham would have stopped here. Because it is only when we, in obedience, separate ourselves from the world and step out in faith to walk on the path that God has for us that we will reach the place where strength and instruction can be found. In Sikkim, Abraham stopped to lean on the shoulder of God for rest and for renewal and for guidance and for instruction. So very interesting names always in the scripture, what names mean. Well, even though Abraham and Sarah were strangers and pilgrims in the midst of a very pagan and wicked society, God was their mighty oak tree of strength and instruction. He was their shoulder to rest upon and to trust in. There are difficulties in the call of obedience, but there are also great dividends And one of them is to be able to lean on the shoulder of God and get renewed and rested in him and get instruction from him. But besides that, and besides the greatest dividend of all, which is eternal life, there is also the enjoyment of having fellowship with God. And that's what we're going to learn about in verse 7 as we look at the dividends of obedience. Okay, so let's look at verse 7. It says, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto thy seed will I give this land and there oh no I, w- I just want to read that much in Psalm 16 verse 11 it says thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy Abraham experienced the joy of being in the presence of the Lord there in Sikkim at shoulder Under the mighty oak trees, we are told clearly that the Lord appeared unto Abram. Now, remember, according to Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, verse 2, the God of glory had appeared to Abraham once before. Prior to his delay in Haran, the Lord God had appeared to Abraham when he was still in Ur. Of the Chaldees. So, this then is the second appearance of the pre incarnate Jesus Christ to Abraham. Now, if you go back and look at Acts 7, verse 2, in that first appearance of the Lord, uh, he had told Abraham to go unto a land that he would show him. Now, in verse 7 of chapter 12 of Genesis, we find that. The Lord rewarded Abraham's faith and obedience by his promise to give him that land, you know, give it to his seed. So first of all, he was promised he would show him the land. Then Abraham obeyed and stepped forth and entered into the land. When he got there and stopped at Shechem, he was now told that he would receive that land. His descendants would, at at least, although he never owned any of it. So Abraham's life was going to be marked by some very special times of very intimate fellowship with God himself, the second person of the Triune Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that fellowship was so great that Abraham has the distinction in the scripture of being referred to as the friend of God. Wouldn't you love that name? To be called, especially in the eternal word of God, to be called the friend of God. That's one of the names for Abraham in the scripture. Now, in hearing the words about God giving him the land, Abraham Abraham received confirmation that he had done God's will. Isn't that great? He had gone to the right land. (laughs) He'd gone to the right place. He was exactly where the Lord wanted him to be. Obedience will always be confirmed by assurance. You know, God doesn't want to leave us in a state of uncertainty as to whether or not we have done what he has wanted us to do. By his word and by his ways, he will always give us assurance. Assurance when we have been obedient. And that's exactly what Abraham received here in Sikkim. He received assurance that he had gone to the right place and that he was in the center of God's will, and this was the land that God was going to give to his seed. Well, in the, in the next event, <clears throat> we see that Abraham was indeed a man of faith because he demonstrated his acceptance of God's promise by building an altar upon which, we can be sure, he offered a sacrifice of one of his most spotless lambs, I would assume, would probably be a lamb. And so this takes us to yet another aspect of the believer's walk of obedience, and that is devotion. So let's look at devotion of obedience in verses uh, the latter part of verse 7 all the way to verse 9. after it says the lord appeared unto abraham and said unto thy seed will i give this land it says and there builded he abraham an altar unto the lord who appeared unto him and he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of bethel and pitched his tent having bethel on the west and hai on the east and there he builded an altar unto the lord and called upon the name of the lord <clears throat> and Abraham, Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. So first in Sikkim, on the plain of Morah, where the Lord appeared to him, and then again between Bethel and Hai, which is also called in scripture Ai, either with the H or without the H, Ai on the east, so it's between Bethel on one side and Ai on the other side, we find that Um, abraham built altars in both those locations to worship the lord and what does this tell us it tells us that abraham was in fellowship with god now when he goes down to egypt in our lesson next week we find no record of abraham building an altar why because he was not in fellowship with the lord he was being disobedient when he went down to Egypt. And we will find, uh, of course, when we, when we looked at Haran, did we read of any altar being built in Haran? No, because he wasn't obedient there either. He was not to have stayed there and delayed there. So because in both Haran and Egypt he was out of fellowship, there was no talk of an altar. In our Life of Abraham study, we're going to find repeated reference to both his tent Notice it did say his tent, too, didn't it? Which It pitched his tent in verse 8. We'll find repeated reference to both his tent and to his altar. His tent spoke of the fact that he was merely a stranger and a pilgrim uh, passing through. You know, he didn't really have his citizenship here in this world. You know, we're, we're the same, aren't we? We're pilgrims and strangers just passing through. We should try to look at our homes and even these uh, tabernacles that we live in, these tents we live in. We should just look at, you know, not hold on to them too tightly because we're not going to keep any of it. We should sort of think of ourselves as nomads like he was, never really putting down real, real, root, you know, hard roots because uh, you'll only be disappointed if you do because this this tabernacle is going to be put off one day. And replaced with a far better one, everybody said amen to that. Same thing with our homes. You know, they're going to just be burned up one day, totally. God will give us a new mansion in heaven, in his house. Well, on the other hand, the altar signified that he was a citizen of heaven. So the tent showed that he was just a passing pilgrim on earth. The altar demonstrated that he was a citizen of heaven because he worshiped the true God. And he worshipped the true God in the right way, which was through the shedding of the blood of a sinless sacrifice. So, you see, his tent was testifying to the world, you know, the Canaanites. He was testifying to the world that he was separate from it. He didn't put down, you know, a permanent dwelling place like they did. So he was separate from the world while the altar spoke of his devotion to his God. And, you know, he was building those altars in front of the enemy. They were watching. They saw what he was doing. That was a real testimony. And that took a lot of courage, too, to do that. Whenever Abraham left his altar, as we'll see he does, he find, would always find himself in trouble. So I wonder, are you, are, do you look at your, your body as a tent? Do you look at your home, your possessions, as tents? You realize, you know, that we're just here temporarily and get your focus on the right place, which is in heaven. Are you establishing any altars, I might ask, also before the Canaanites, before the unbelievers, as a testimony of your faith in God? And are you leaving those altars, you know, behind for future generations to see and follow in your path? Because when Abraham passed through the land of Canaan, He didn't leave anything behind except what? Those altars, and they served as a testimony of his faith to the future generations. Even though we are strangers and pilgrims passing through this world, that it does not mean we should leave it untouched. We need to leave behind our altars. Well, it's interesting to learn that the meaning of the names of Bethel and Hai or Ai to which Abraham traveled after leaving Sikkim um, mean something very interesting in verse 8 we are told that he encamped on a mountain east of Bethel which would have been about 35 miles south of where he had been in in Sikkim is 35 miles south southeast Bethel was on one side and Ai was on the other now Bethel means house of God And Ai means heap of ruins. Now these two locations, with Abraham camped between them, draw for us another picture of the believer's present circumstance in this world. The old creation, or the old life, stands on one side, you see, reminding the believer what the world is really like. What is it really like? A heap of ruins. While the new creation, the new man in Christ, stands on the other side, reminding him that God offers his children his very own house, Bethel, the house of God, to dwell in eternally, which is far greater compensation for the one that he's lost down here, the heap of ruins that he has lost down here. So again, just perfect everywhere that Abraham went, and the story behind it in the names. Well, in verse 9, we find that he journeyed going on still, this time to the south of Canaan. The life of obedience and faith will never stand still. You know, you should never be standing still in your Christian life, because if you are standing still, you're actually going backwards. You need to always be going on. We must keep ongoing keep going on still as it says for the Lord God purposely kept Abraham moving so that he would grow in his spiritual walk with the Lord if you're not growing you're backsliding actually we need to always be growing he was to move on so that he would face new challenges and new tests and to be forced into looking to God for grace to help in time of need you know, too often this is another problem we find too often Christians will get in a comfort zone and then they will stop but listen to this comfortable Christianity is not a conduce is not a condition which is conducive to spiritual growth would you agree with that comfortable Christianity will not help you to grow spiritually And that's why God knows that uncomfortable circumstances are what we need in order to stretch our faith and to cause us to have deeper convictions about ourselves and our, our own need for greater spiritual maturity. They also cause us, these uncomfortable circumstances that we go through in life, cause us to depend more and more upon the Lord for his guidance and his strength and his power. It was for just such a purpose of testing Abraham's faith and causing it to stretch that God, as we will see in our lesson next week, God caused a famine in the land of Canaan. Verse 10, Abraham needed to learn, you see, that he could trust God to provide even for his needs, his daily bread. He needed to learn that God would fulfill his promises. You see, if Abraham was going to be blessed, and if he was going to be a blessing to all nations, if he was going to be made a great nation, if his name was going to be made great, if all the families of the earth were going to be um, blessed because the promised seed of the woman was going to come through him, and if the land of Canaan was going to become a possession to his seed, then God surely was not going to allow him and Sarah and even those with them to perish in a famine, right? If he'd promised him all these eight promises, there were 7 and 2 and 3, verses 2 and 3, and then one more down in <clears throat> verse 7, so altogether God had given him eight promises. If God was going to fulfill his word, then obviously Sarah and Abraham were not going to perish in a famine. Yet, as we're going to learn in our next study, Abraham was not equal. He was not quite ready for this famine test, which was set before him, because he yielded to the temptation to take matters into his own hands. And what do you think happened? He made a terrible mess of things. Well, the good news is that even when you and I mess up In our Christian lives, which we do all the time, yet God remains faithful. He which hath begun a good work in us will perform it, won't he? He will complete it. The same Lord who brought Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and into the land of Canaan would also bring him safely along on his spiritual journey despite Abraham's own self-inflicted detours and this god would likewise bring him through to the heavenly bethel the house of god so that's what we'll look at next week today's lesson was believing journey from haran to canaan next week's lesson is backsliding journey from canaan to egypt so this was the good news that'll be the bad news Let's pray. Father, I want to just pray that you will make each of us in this room a channel of blessing to others. Help us, Father, in our walk with you to be strong in our faith as Romans 4.20 says of Abraham. Oh, how we desire to be called your friend and to and to have it said of us that we were strong in our faith. Lord, help us not to be those who walk by sight and not by faith, but to walk by faith and not by sight. Give us stamina, Lord, how we need that so desperately because it's so tempting to get discouraged and to quit. Lord, help us to have stamina and determination not to be quitters, to be willing to go the second mile, to be those who are women of commitment, those who journey going on still. And Lord, may we not be concerned about making our name great, as Lamech and Nimrod and the citizens of Babel were so intent upon. But may we be concerned about making your name great. And Father, help us also to learn to lean on your mighty shoulder and to look at you as a mighty oak tree under whom we can get rest and direction and instruction for our lives And may we think of ourselves as we truly are, as just pilgrims and strangers passing through in these temporary tents, these tabernacles. And may we not get too attached to the things on earth, for they are just fleeting. May we put our affection and our focus on things above, and may we do everything with eternity in perspective. And, Father, may we also be conscious of building altars altars of witness before the canaanites before the unbelievers to leave a testimony of you to those who will come behind us and to be a testimony of course to those who are walking through this earth with us and that they might join us in our worship of the one and only true god father thank you for the many lessons that you teach us through this dear saint abraham even May we learn from his mistakes, because that's why you have included them in the Scripture. Father, thank you for these women. Bless them mightily. Put your put your hand of blessing upon them and surround them with your presence and keep them from the evil one. Protect their families, Lord, and save our unsaved family members, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.